Hi everyone, my name is Montserrat and I serve as the Assistant Director for Leadership in the Center for Student Engagement at George Washington University. I'm also happy to be your host for the NASPA Leadership Podcast presented by the Student Leadership Program's Knowledge Community. You can get more information about the Knowledge Community on our various social media outlets, including Facebook, which you can find at www.facebook.com backslash SALead, on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, on Instagram at, at NASPA underscore SLPKC, and all of the Knowledge Community's webinars can be found on the Knowledge Community YouTube channel, which is NASPA SLPKC. I'd like to welcome my guest this morning, Ann Arsenault, who serves as the Director of Student Leadership Development at William & Mary. She pre previously worked in housing for DePaul University, that's DePaul with a W in Indiana, not DePaul with an L in Illinois, and is a consultant for leadership. She holds undergraduate and graduate degrees from William & Mary. Pertinent to our particular discussion today, Ann also manages the No Title Needed program at William & Mary. Welcome, Ann. Thanks so much for being here. Oh gosh, thanks so much for joining me. So. Before we talk uh, about No Title Needed, I'd love to know more about Anne, uh, about you as a person and as a practitioner. So, Anne, uh, what is your favorite thing about yourself? I think my favorite thing about myself is that I'm always, I always think there's a better version of me right around the corner. So I'm frequently engaged in opportunities for self-improvement. Oh, gosh, I love that. I, uh, I actually just had a conversation this weekend about whether people can like, really change, and I really want to believe in the idea that, uh, that self-improvement is out there. So that's great. My, my favorite author is Gretchen Rubin, who wrote the book Better Than Before, and I, I, I particularly am in, intrigued by her conversations about habits and the way we form habits based on the, our personal attributes. So it's a great read. Okay, that, that's super helpful. Uh, who inspired you to go into student affairs? I am a product of a committed uh, practitioner here at the College of William & Mary. Our former vice president, now retired of student affairs, Sam Sadler, looked at the work that I was doing while I was pursuing a master's in secondary education and said, you really should think about higher education. And I took some time to contemplate why I was doing what I was doing for a secondary education career and really decided that indeed it, it was more about working with people in learning environments um, where there was growth and opportunity than about secondary English. And so um, Sam Sadler from the College of William & Mary, um, now retired, is the person who inspired me. Okay, great. Secondary English does sound pretty interesting. Though. <laughs> High school English teacher. <laughs> yeah, sure. Okay, so who is the best leader you know and why? Oh, I, I, I struggle to come up with singular people. What I enjoy seeing is people who find something they care about, learn how to work with others in the pursuit of that, and are contributing to positive change in the world's communities, causes, initiatives that are important to them. So I love uh, pedestal people and experiences of that. And I also love your next door neighbor who is involved in a local community association. So I, I struggle to come up with like the best person. I just enjoy watching where you find people who have found their niche and are doing that well. So we have a, a student who will come into his senior year here and his freshman year he started the Cheese Club. And to see the way he's gathered people around this interest and has created sort of a movement is inspiring to me because that 
That is going to show up in different ways in his 30s and 40s than how it showed up at 18. And so I, I struggle to find a singular person. What I love looking at is profiles of people who found a way to care about something and then involve others and create positive change. And I think those examples are all around us. We just have to highlight them a little bit. Okay, great. I'd love to know more. So the Cheese Club is a movement yeah. at William & Mary? So, it, yeah, it's, I mean, it's just a, one of our recognized student organizations. So our office works with in student opportunities. So we are the Office of Student Leadership Development. We have oversight for the recognized student organizations. And, you know, there's an individual who saw a need for something and had an interest in it and, and aligned a way to kind of create a movement around the Cheese Club. And, and so it's a 100 to 150 member organization. They get discounts at a local shop that is very popular with students and alums and tourists here in Williamsburg. It's called the Cheese Shop. They have gatherings around cheese. So it's just it's sort of one of those things where it, it, it the, the concept isn't isn't you know it isn't creating a greater social cause, but they are bringing people together around something that they enjoy in a personal personal interest. Wow. Cheese shop, not the most original name for a for a cheese specialty store. I cannot you know, believe. You know, it's a sandwich shop and a g local gourmet shop, and it is one of the favorite things about people who have come and gone from Williamsburg in some place. <laughs> That's funny. I just, I just had no idea when I asked that question that we were going to go down a path. Go down cheese. Really, really <laughs> integral. So that's great. Okay. Um, when did you become interested in leadership? I think I can pinpoint that pivotal undergraduate student experience where I knew, um, and for me it just happened to be my sorority, um, but I think that it was sort of feeling that personal best experience, if I'm using my Kuz and Posner language, of when you knew something was working great. And I didn't have all the language to assign to I was in strong relationships with people. We had a clear understanding of a greater good that we were working on together. We all had a shared vision for how we wanted to create positive change. We were working together. We were making improvements. And it we spent as I like to say, a lot of time solving the problems of the world through the lens of our particular organization that we care deeply about. And I think seeing it work so well inspired me to figure out how to do that again in different groups of people, in different causes. But it was that formative experience. And I don't know that I called it leadership, but that's what it was. That was that opportunity to work with other people and try to make improvements and move something forward and make it better than you had it when you came into it. That was my practice field experience that has inspired my work since then. And so I'm not always um, great with the, the theory or the what are the cutting edge articles, but trying to connect people to those experiences of practice field moments that will serve them the rest of their lives. Yeah, I think, I think what you touched on there, I think that that's how a lot of people sort of first experience leadership is that idea of there's something that I really care about. I've been inspired by it. And now I'm in a position where I have the opportunity to try to leave it better, you know, and that sort of, mm -hmm. I feel like that sort of like kernel is, is th that feeling is how a lot of people access leadership. 
And whatever I've learned in that experience, I'll take with me to the next thing that might look totally different than the thing I was working on here. And that's what I love. Like I learned something about myself or how to navigate a challenge or a controversy. I've learned how to do that more effectively through each practice field experience, and I can take that to the next experience that I care about and try to figure out how to make it better again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so uh, why do you think leadership work is worthwhile? I think because we're all doing it. And I, I, I don't mean all of us as leadership educators. I think we navigate the world in relationship and in community, and our world needs better outcomes. And so it is important to position young adults in formative years, so, and that's my lens through the college student development work, it is important to position them to be able to take on the causes and the opportunities and the issues where they can contribute to positive change. And, and frankly, we just need it. So I think that's why the work is important. And there are plenty of places where people aren't doing the work well. They're doing it in silos. They aren't working together. I, I think we can look all around the world and see where we need better outcomes. And so I think the work is important just to in order in order to empower more people to be more skilled to navigate the opportunities that lie ahead of us. And and then personally I think we are all gratified when we're able to contribute to things that we care about and how we do that maybe more facilely without as much effort can can be valuable. If I take on something all by myself, maybe then I don't have time to enjoy other respite-oriented hobbies if I haven't figured out how to engage a team around the work that is important for whatever I'm, it is that I care about. Great, great. So you talked a little bit about Gretchen Rubin already, but who's, uh, whose work inspires your work? I... I, I think maybe it comes back to my other answer. I think you see nuggets of how different – I love to take and learn pieces and nuggets from how other people do things and then figure out how – does that resonate for me? Is it something that I could apply? Is it a place where I can engage somebody who has that skill set in the work that I'm doing? I'm not a very um, – I like hybrid pocket points of people and different elements that they offer, uh, but I have no one single I, – I, I do talk about Gretchen Rubin as my spirit animal, but that isn't – that's just from the lens of personal development. And I think where you're I, – I love all examples. This isn't very good for you, Miles. I apologize. I love all examples of where people are doing that. So, that, you know, I, I see micro – um, opportunities for sort of people who are doing that rather than one singular person in my life. Yeah, yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. I think I'm also getting a trend here that I, I think there's two kinds of people. I think there's people who really like to pick favorites and there's people yeah. who don't like to pick favorites. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a favorite, favorite person. <laughs> I get the sense that you're maybe not. I think that that's, I think that's where I'm at. So uh, That might be it. <laughs> yeah, so this next question might be a little bit of a challenge then. So let's see. Maybe you can give me a few examples. Sure. Uh, what's the best student leadership moment you've seen? I, so I'm going to give you one example, but we, I think I see it all the time, is that when you, when, and again, we're in a, I'm in a four-year residential institution, so I have the good fortune that I get to experience students in their growth and development and watch them navigate through. And I, 
I often love seeing that developmental pattern and watching a student as they transition from the I must do it all myself um, part of their leadership identity development into beginning to craft a shared vision for an organization, a cause, or community, and being able to translate that and enlist others in that work. And I think sometime around that junior year is when we begin to see students who showed up in our office for the first time trying to reserve a room. and and really navigating sort of baseline transactional issues as the way they're forwarding their organization to when you're working with that same student a few years later, maybe on the same thing that they were working on in their freshman year, but in a different role or a different capacity. And suddenly they've elevated the way they're talking about it. They've elevated the way they're sharing what they want to do. They're building a future. I think it is the most challenging thing to do to ask undergraduate traditional age, which is the population I've spent the most time with, to craft a future that doesn't include them, but the transitory nature of the work that we do with students, their future, you know, they at best have two to three years of fully immersed in a cause or a community or initiative that they're super involved in. And so they're always rotating in and out. And when you see them begin to plant seeds for a, a future that won't include them is really a powerful experience because also you know they're going to be able to do that in a different environment after they leave. And, and that, that, that moment is, is really cool to watch. And I, I guess I could plug and play lots of different student names. You know, I, I think we've just come off commencement and I think about a bunch of students who just left who, you know, knowing them their freshman year and then seeing them in their senior year, just really remarkable to think about how they have appropriately grown and developed, but what what their opportunities are ahead is pretty exciting. Yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting to think about. I, I just finished my first cycle at GW, so my first group of students that I started with just left and uh, it feels like it went very quickly and I think that <laughs> I think that it can feel that way. You know, I think that it's amazing to think about, you know, how much someone can grow from 18 to 22 or, you know, for non-traditional age students from when they enter college until when they exit. And um, it, I don't know, it all, it all feels very fast. And I think, that the, I think that the point about, you know, their window is very short is, is, really, uh, is really insightful. Mm -hmm. uh, so something that I, you know, am always kind of trying to pick at because I think that I think that the word leadership outside of our field I think particularly is how it's received by our students uh, I think that leadership has been you know done a lot of ways by a lot of different groups and I think that it has a tendency to sort of drift into uh, you know some vagary and some corporate talk and so um, we've talked about the meaningful impact of leadership work and I'm fully believe in the meaningful impact of that work but what do you think can go wrong with leadership studies what do you think can lead us down this path where uh, where you know leadership kind of loses its teeth sometimes. Sure, I I think one of the things that we that can create the most difficulty for us is when we create access only through opportunities for the selected few. So that that if the only way you can chart into seeing yourself in leadership is by being selected into an elite course or program or by being the person who becomes the president or positional leader in the group, that we don't create enough opportunities for people to see themselves as leaders and then we only reinforce growth and development opportunities for the selected few. Now I also say that and know that 
when we water it down and then begin to talk external for people who view it as very positional or view it as something that is uh, selected or birthright, which I, I don't agree with, but I think there are plenty of people out there who do believe leaders are, are, are born. How do we disrupt that? Because there are many people who have a hard time external to at least my higher education world seeing that everyone has the capacity and opportunity to work on the skills associated with leadership. And when we say everybody has access to that, people who don't believe that have a hard time kind of, well, well then what are, you, what are we saying? Where is it? special. But I, I think it is special if you find out what you care about, you work to make with other people to make positive change and progress on that. That is all that leadership for me is. Like it and it doesn't matter what the what the output is. It matters that you're following those that pattern of I know about myself, I'm applying my values and my strengths and, and opportunities into making progress. I'm working with other people and we're creating positive change. And I think we don't give enough people access to look at it that way. They're waiting to be tapped for leadership. And, and then we have programs and services. A lot of times in the Office of Student Leadership Development, we get asked, well, what's the thing you do? And what they're looking for is what's the program? Like what's the, what's the figurehead program that you offer? And we, don't, we want everybody to have an opportunity to enter in in multiple different ways. And some may resonate differently for people. And, and there may be programs and services have to meet people where they are, and that will be across a wide array. Yeah, well, and I think that, that I think that answer transitions uh, beautifully into our next discussion, uh, which is uh, to talk about the specific program that I invited you here for. So that's sure. the program that, that your office uh, or an initiative that your office manages called No Title Needed. So a colleague of mine here at GW used to work with Ann on this project, and uh, you know I'm certainly convicted by you know by your argument about things that, that can go wrong uh, with leadership studies. And, and I think that we're sort of here to present a, a, an, an initiative that can be a solution to that. Um, so uh, engaging, I think engaging students outside of formal positions is in some ways kind of the holy grail of student leadership programs. So and could you provide a brief summary of the functionality of No Title Needed for those who haven't heard about it? Sure. So this is an initiative we started um, two years ago. So we will this upcoming fall will be our third implementation in some way of the No Title Needed initiative. And really, the, the colleague that Miles spoke with that he's working with now, we were three years ago in our office, um, we had transitioned from being an Office of Student Activities to being an office that was trying to, to the Office of Student Leadership Development, and trying to have our outcomes be about student leadership development. And for us, many of those outcomes based on the social change model, we were trying to figure out how to elevate non-positional leadership. And it was just that moment of clarity where Caitlin, the, the shared colleague between Miles and I said, we are spending all this time talking about non-positional leadership and nobody knows what that means. It feels kind of jargony. It didn't really resonate for a campus that had always tapped into the selected few. And we, you know, leadership was when you were president of XYZ organization. And we decided we were going to do something. And we didn't know what that was at the time in which we said, we're going to do something that celebrates non-positional leadership. Well, it's, it's hard to build something, uh, for lack of a better term, sexy and catchy around non-positional leadership. But it's, it's cumbersome to say that. And, and through the course of the, the next couple months as we were working on this, we determined 
and we would launch a, a campaign called No Title Needed. And there are lots of ways we took to do it that first year, and we've honed in on some different things. But what we're really trying to do at William & Mary is to identify and celebrate places where people are working to make positive change regardless of title or position, that they don't need a title um, in order, to, hence no title needed, to step into caring about something that's important to them and working with others to create positive change. And so ours primarily, there were lots of different things that we have done in the last couple years, but primarily it's a social media campaign using the hashtag no title needed where we recognize and celebrate students who are nominated by other people, and then also tap into colleagues, faculty, staff, other students to say, what do you care about where there is no title needed? And ask them to sort of be nominated around that or celebrate what it is that's important to them. And we do a, a traditional whiteboard campaign on the social media to really elevate that. So that's the briefest. We've done some other things to sort of help launch the conversation around it, but really trying to have people not see that leadership has to be positional is our primary goal through multiple avenues, primarily this, this recognition campaign. Great. So what, what do you think were some key steps in effectively implementing the vision of No Title Needed? For, for us, it has been sending a message out to the positional leaders that while they are positional leaders, <laughs> there are other people contributing to help the organization. So, you know, we, we only have one space in our database for recognized student organizations for primary contact. There's only one person who can be in that role. But that doesn't mean that every organization is defined by one person. And so I think the key steps for us have been communicating with those in positional leadership that where are they in their organizations and their cultures recognizing um, contribution. And you know, in, in volunteer organizations, which is essentially you know, no, not many of our students are getting paid to be undergraduate student leaders or you know, involved community members. And so affirmation is really, affirmation and recognition is the, uh, the commodity that can be offered to them. And so where are we celebrating that? Where are we recognizing it within those organizations? And then where are we disrupting places across campus where we are saying leadership, but what we really mean is positional. And No Title Needed has given us a window to go in and talk about the fact um, with a campaign to say, like, you don't need to have a title in order to be taking action on something. You can contribute in lots of different ways. And I think for people who, aren't, who haven't yet parsed out positional leadership and leadership, that's given us a window to sort of say, well, at least think about this. Where have you worked with people that are doing things that are, um, they're doing it because they care and they know how to effectively navigate something, but they are contributing in ways that are changing the organization for the good. And that, that's given us a lot of opportunity. Okay, great. Uh, can you share a story of a time when you knew that no title needed had met its goals? So that the first or year we few, went we, a few stories, you know. Sure, we went big in 2014, and it was the first year we were doing it, and we were really trying to send a message across campus. We were new in our office, and there, there are two things that happened for us. Um, one was when other campuses with much more developed leadership development initiatives than ours picked up our social media campaign and highlighted it in their own platforms. It was like, oh, <laughs> OK, 
hey, that's like it was really, really great to see that opportunity. Um, we have a former student from William Mary was a student worker in our office, and he was at the time he is now graduated, but at the time he was in seminary, um, going to divinity school, and he preached a sermon on no title needed through again his lens was he was preaching a sermon, but he did it. He used the hashtag and he connected it to our campaign and talked about where people care. And again, his was of a religious background. But then he sent us the video and said, here's how I participated in No Title Needed. And then also in the same two-week period, we had our student representatives to our board of visitors, which is our governance board at William & Mary, which is generally a very traditional-minded you know, governance board. These are people who have been selected based on position and authority in order to serve appropriately our institution, they did a whole campaign promoting no title needed. And that the fact that that first year our Board of Visitors had access to our whole campaign and what it meant to be an involved student at William & Mary regardless of title through the lens of the No Title Needed campaign, was we were just blown away and so thrilled of the way the message got out in lots of different ways. So those were sort of three key ones for us. We're just like, People picked it up and used it and began, you know, you, 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 when people begin to use the word language that you're using in ways external to you, you begin to feel like you've had some success. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so speaking of that, uh, that hashtag, uh, so in preparation for the, uh, the podcast, Ann shared a funny story about <laughs> unexpected outcomes of, of using that hashtag. So and if you follow the hashtag no title needed outside of William and Mary, what are you likely to find and what do you think the the lessons of that confusion are? Uh, you know, what we found after we had launched our whole thing is if you did a search on the hashtag no title needed, it's generally people in um, um, pseudo-partnered relationships trying to define the relationship and saying that they don't need a title um, in order to be able to do that. Sometimes uh, perhaps sexual in nature, I, you know, that, that <laughs> there was a lot more about no title needed. Most of it wasn't about non-positional leadership. So we do recommend for others, you know, we're we are committed to no title needed, um, but it's pretty easy to search your hashtag before you begin your campaign to find out if it has any meaning out there in the world other than the one you intended it to have. So we got a we got a little laugh about that once we were down the road. We were like, oh, okay, <laughs> not how most people use no title needed. <laughs> sure, you know, just just one more step. Yeah, <laughs> one extra step. Go ahead just, and check that. <laughs> just one extra step. Okay. Great, uh, great. So now we're going to transition into a regular uh, into a regular segment that we do called Rapid Fire. So, as a reminder, uh, I'm going to ask Ann a, a big, arbitrary, silly question, and I'm going to limit Ann to 30 second responses. So I ask every guest, or at least plan to ask all the guests, what is the best book about leadership and why? I, you know, the one I go to all the time, which is such a nerdy answer, but exploring leadership for college students who want to make a difference because it's, you know, I'm a child. I, I was born in 1967. So I grew up in not the age of Wikipedia, but in the engage, age of encyclopedia. So I love going to a source that provides me lots of different ways to look at something. Okay, great. Uh, so in keeping with the book theme, if you were going to write an autobiography outlining your career as a leader – as many people do, uh, what would that title be? I think it would be Know, Care, and Contribute to Positive Change. Okay, great. 
so what historical figure do you think was the best follower? I, so Miles says, I was like, oh, like I, I did not do all my homework. I, I, you know, I don't like favorites. We've already established that. I, I know, think, and this is so, this, this whole thing is just so built for favorites people. I really got <laughs> to think through this going forward. I, I think what I, you know, if I think about the way I think about leadership and the way I think about all of us having the capacity to care and contribute is I think we don't know. Like, I, that's my answer is I think that, I hope that I am involved in things where I am contributing, but I'm not connected. I'm not associated with those things directly, but I'm contributing to them. And I think across the world, we have places where there are unsung heroes, people not in the position or authority who are contributing. And so I, I don't, like, I think all of our followers, if they're doing what they really have the opportunity to do, we don't know who they are. But that shouldn't stop each of us from being inspired to contribute where it makes sense for us to give and contribute and share and you know, provide expertise or even just time and, you know, sometimes I, I like to laugh, like sometimes you just have to stuff the envelopes. Like sometimes you need people just to haul things back and forth. And I, those are very transactional things, but they're part of what makes stuff happen. Um, so I think our unsung heroes are all the people who are, you know, cleaning up after the big program or event speech thing that happened that people walked away with, you know, with a YouTube video, but somebody had to set up chairs before that happened. That infrastructure is really important to me. Sure, yeah. I, I watch a fair amount of TED Talks, and they're, they look great, and uh, <laughs> they're very inspirational, but I imagine there's a lot that goes into making them look so great. Um, okay, so William & Mary is the second oldest higher education institution in the United States. I've been to Williamsburg. I've sat in the church that was frequented by the Founding Fathers. Sure. It's a place very steeped in history. So who is your Founding Father of choice? Well, I'm, I'm taking a shift because it's where I'm spending some time now. So I'm not going founding father, but William & Mary in um, 2018 will celebrate 100 years of co-education mm -hmm. at the College of William & Mary. So right now, um, Martha Bar Barksdale is the person who comes to mind for me because she was one of our first enrolled female students at the college. And so while she was not a founding father, I think – that the work that William and Mary did in 1918 and over the course of those, you know, four years for those first women who came and brought co-education, um, serving on a committee that's thinking about that a lot, that what that meant, what that meant at that time, how they integrated into the community. Um, I feel a little more connected to that right now. Um, and so Martha Barksdale, not a name heard or known external to William & Mary, but one of our first female students. And as we begin to celebrate 100 years of co-education, she's the person that I'm thinking about a lot as, as how do we really celebrate the magnitude of that. Great, great. Uh, so our final segment is a twist on a classic icebreaker. So uh, it's called Higher Education, Two Truths and a Lie. So I'm going to provide two stories from higher education current events and one lie, and Anne's going to have to parse out that lie. So last, uh, the last podcast segment of stories was not especially exciting. Happy to report more bizarre things happened in the world of higher education recently. So our theme this week is executive controversy. Uh, so Anne, here are your options. Recently, the University of Akron president, Scott Scarborough, departed the school following a series of online controversies, one of which was a university-funded olive jar that cost $556.40. So that's your first option. Okay. Next option is incoming president of Loyola 
Marymount University Timothy Snyder drew interest on social media for a picture posted on his Facebook account of a tattoo of his alma mater's mascot, the Toledo Rocket. That's your second option. Okay. And your final option is Alamo College's Chancellor Bruce Leslie recently drew ire for scrolling on his phone for 40 minutes of the institution's commencement program. So which of those do you think is a lie? <laughs> I had no idea what to expect. These are very specific, so they're good. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, ah. that's, that's the idea. I, I really modeled this after, wait, wait, don't tell me. So you've got to <laughs> got to go very specific. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with it's never socially acceptable to scroll on your phone. So even if that's not the one, um, I'm, I'm going to reinforce that, you know, in public environments, more people are watching you than you think. So hopefully that's the one that sort of got people, got, got someone into some ire. Okay, so you think that that is I, the Alamo lie? Pre- yes. Okay, so uh, that one is true. Uh, that okay. did happen. He did, uh, Alamo College's Chancellor Bruce Leslie did scroll on his phone for 40 minutes. Uh, the other true one is that University of Akron President Scott Scarborough uh, did uh, purchase a university-funded uh, jolly of uh, olives that cost $556. <laughs> <laughs> the lie that I made up was about the university, uh, about Loyola Marymount University, Timothy Snyder and his tattoo. So uh, he is, he did go to Toledo, that is his alma mater, but there was no, uh, no social media picture of a tattoo. So, as far as I know. I, you know as far I, as you know. He might still have it. He just didn't put it on social media. Can't confirm, but that was not covered by Inside Higher Ed this week. So, um, okay, great. So uh, thank you so much to Anne for joining me for the NASPA Leadership Podcast, which is presented by the NASPA Student Leadership Programs Knowledge Community. Uh, thanks for sharing of yourself and for uh, this wonderful passion project, No Title Needed, which I think is, is uh, so valuable. And if you'd like to learn more about No Title Needed, I would generally recommend just, title, just Googling No Title Needed. So it's all one word. You know, that's how hashtags work. And William and & Mary, and that will link you up to Anne's office. Uh, and Anne has also gener- generously provided a lot of resources that were helpful for them in getting the process going. And I'm going to get those posted on the SLPKC Tumblr, uh, so you can be able, so you can access those. So if you want to take and you're interested in this and you want to get this going at your institution, uh, this would be a this will be a great opportunity. You can also get more information about the knowledge community, again, on our various social media outlets, including Facebook, which is facebook.com backslash SALEAD, on Twitter at NASPA SLPKC, on Instagram at NASPA underscore SLPKC, and again, all of our webinars can be found on the Knowledge Community YouTube channel, which is NASPA SLPKC. Uh, you can also submit questions to be answered in the next podcast at naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. And finally, if you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, we would love to hear more about your program. So please, please shoot us an email at naspaleaderpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, Ann. Thank you so much. It was great to be with you.